your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello and welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. I am your host, Betsy Hicks, and I am very excited to introduce the show to Health Voice America. We have a wonderful weekly lineup of guests here to help educate and empower you on the latest breakthroughs in biomedical, complementary, and therapy treatments that are bringing on the hope of healing. I want to thank our sponsor, Sensory Learning Center. Today is the one in Siri. Um, in Phoenix, Arizona, the Sensory Learning Center series in Phoenix. And also for making the show possible, I would like to thank Karen Dana, Voice America, for allowing us to have a voice. I also want to thank Ed Aranga and Terry Small of Autism One, who are the behind-the-scenes heroes. Today's guest is the wonderful and very interesting Mary Bowles, an expert on the effect of ocular light therapy on learning disabilities and the creator of the Sensory Learning Program. Thank you, Mary, for joining us today. Thank you, Betsy. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. Mary, we all know our five basic senses, the touch, taste, visual, auditory, and smell, but are there other senses are rarely talked about. Can you explain what some of those other senses may be? Well, the um, silent scent, pulse is often called the vestibular system, or the vestibular system of, is uh, the balance system is often called the silent pulse. It is actually the frame of reference for most of the visual messages and and many of the auditory messages. Mm. So these are the three basic major sensory systems: the vestibular, the visual, and the auditory. And and interestingly enough, they go in as the nerves into the most primitive part of the brain. And it's there, along with the cerebellum and the reticular formation, that those messages must integrate as they move up through the emotional and into the cognitive areas of the brain. So why specifically those three? Those three need to integrate. They, the, the, the vestibular is the frame of reference. And we often know that it is what is most impaired in the children. Can it you is, explain the vestibular? Because I, I'm familiar with that with my own son, but many listeners may not understand what the vestibular sense is. When, when the vestibular is off, what, what they may be seeing. You're going to see balance issues. You're going to see... Um, that along with tactile sensations and proprioceptive messages from the muscles, tendons, and joints, that the person should have a sense of body awareness. Okay. In fact, these children, we know, they sometimes don't know where their feet are. They don't know what finger we're touching until mm-hmm. they look at the finger. They know when they skin their knee. They don't really know when they skin their knee that they, that 
that there's any sensation of pain there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the vestibular, and then going back to that, the the, the, the the trio of them all, the vestibular, and the next one was? Visual. The visual, okay. That that connection between the vestibular and the visual is posture. It is also that the, that basically the child knows how they are relating to their environment, to their space. It's about... Is something in the environment moving, or are they moving? Mm-hmm. And it and it relates to how well they catch a ball. Can they ride a bike? Because now their feet are going to be off the ground. Balance and feet go right together. And handwriting, so gross motor, fine motor. How were you able to put this connection of the three of them, these, these three senses together? How did I do it? Because it's it's, it's amazing that you were able to find this connection between the three most important senses for developing the sensory piece. Is this, is this your, is your background um, conducive to this? I know that you know a tremendous amount about the ocular component, but how did this all come together? Well, the vision depends on how the vestibular connects with it to a large extent. And... Um, as I watched my son, I just could see that most of his issues were uh, around these major three sensory. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of unreasonable fear, and then sometimes he didn't have enough respect where he should have some fear. Right. And, and I know that. <laughs> my, when my son was two, he used to find any banister he could two stories up and climb the, you know, climb the deck railings and, and, and with no idea how to get down. <laughs> we think it looks like good motor planning, but in fact it's uh it's really risky. Stuff. I used to think he's gonna be a gymnast. But right. obviously it was just a lack of fear. So what you're just saying, that makes a lot of sense. Fear is held in the vestibular system. It is. So when we see an over responsive oh. vestibular system, we see a lot of fear because they're they can't put all the messages together. And then when we see an under-responsive vestibular system, this is a child that is diving into the sofa cushions mm-hmm. because he's trying to get some respite from all that fluid-like substance that is shared between the vestibular and the auditory system. Those messages are so confusing that if he can jar his body really quickly, that will kind of cancel out all the sort of um, messages that are trying to make waves in that fluid-like substance. Is this a disconnection or is it a, is it a disruption in the brain circuitry? That's a very interesting question. Is it a disconnection or a disruption? I think it is simply a failure to connect. Okay. And 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 the way that the system does connect these three sensory systems speaking to each other, the brain talking to itself, is having multiple areas of the brain stimulated at the same time. Mm -hmm. And this should take place in a normal environment. As a child is playing, the skills between the visual and vestibular are becoming um, adept, and this this will just move right along as he begins to read. And then does it actually create new sensory pathways? Is, 
is that the, the, the actual goal is to almost create something new within the brain or is it supposed to help things reconnect? Well, as we, as we have all learned to ride a two-wheel bike once, <laughs> it was really scary. Right, right. It was really scary. And then before handbrakes and they, we had to put the pedals backward, that was really hard. Yes. Those things, when, when we, when we, uh, master those, there has been myelination that has taken place mm-hmm. in the brain itself. And there are so many sensory skills that we take them all for granted, but those are prerequisite to all the performance skills that we just see every day people um, acquiring and using quite normally. So that myelinated piece, is that the, the what's called the white matter of the brain? Yes, and the gray matter would be compared to the circuit boards. Okay. Those circuit boards are in great shape. But what has to happen is the white matter, the cables, must be connected well. They need long-range connections. From time to time as the child is growing, there needs to be some pruning done. Mm -hmm. And a child will be 11 years old and still making connections for abstract thought. Why is it that rental car agencies don't allow a child or a, a person under 25 to rent a car <laughs> because that impulse control isn't connected till about age 25. Really? Now, so many of these children, from an immune sense, make antimyelin antibodies, destroying a lot of the white matter. Does that have a lot to do with this disconnection as well at all? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And that so w- once the immune system gets repaired that can also help contribute to an improvement in the way you know, people say that they didn't do a lot, but sensory-wise their child got better over time. If, if they were improving in their antibodies and stopped constantly making these antimyelin antibodies, that might improve things as well. This is very, very fascinating. I, um, you bring up a good point about if, if we just get some detoxing, perhaps some chelating, some... some um, revved up uh, nutrition, supplements, that we see sensory issues resolve themselves or partially resolve themselves. And that's what I see. When we have a better um, preparation like that, sensory stimulation in a unique environment as an intervention just has no limits of what can happen. That's fabulous. And and you bring it along in a much faster way, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit more after our break. But I, I, I'm curious to know: Do sensory messages enter the brain in in specific ways? With how, when we receive a sensory message, is it mostly through the vestibular that we're receiving our messages outside? But we're obviously we're getting them visually. We're getting them through our our all different senses. From the ear, the vestibular and the auditory messages um, enter the brainstem area right below the pons. The visual messages are going to enter right above the pons. And then those three, with the help of the cerebellum, are going to move up to the superior and inferior colliculus where the messages integrate as one experience. These children are living in... Uh, a world of fragmented sensory input. Mm. 
and and the and the sensory inputs are unrelated to each other without meaning and they're they're alternating from one sensory input to another from one sensory modality to another and they just can't integrate the experience as a whole and that means the brain is not talking to itself if you can't integrate new stimuli with existing information and thus develop entirely new perspectives dimensions and ideas you can't transfer learning a new skill to a creative new situation. And so often they get lost in the details. They just can't see the big picture. And we think the big picture is so simple. How horribly frustrating. That is um, it's something that we, we frequently think, that they, they see things and they feel things the way that we do. And our our patience gets lost in forgetting that every sense is just a little bit different. Um, Mary, thank you. Uh, th- this is this is really starting to educate myself as well. I'm, I'm excited to learn more about this. Let's talk about um, when we get back your program, the Sensory Learning Center, and how you put that all together. Okay. We'll be right back with Mary Bowles from Sensory Learning Center. Thank you. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. To create a kind and gentle world, a change in thought patterns and beliefs, individually and collectively, is needed. Join Suze Casey, developer of Belief Repattering, and her guest as they explore questions and conversations that push the boundaries and engage with you in the process of being who we really are and creating what we really want in our lives. What Do You Want Instead invites you to join the conversation every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What Do You Want Instead supports you in honoring and accepting yourself and making the decisions that create the lifestyle you desire and deserve. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup of the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, 
Here's Betsy. Hello, and welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope. I have the wonderful Mary Bowles, who is an expert on the effect of ocular light therapy, learning disabilities, and the creator of Sensory Learning Program. And Mary is teaching me a tremendous amount about the brain, and we've talked everything about disconnection, and hopefully a lot of people have understood the importance of the vestibular sense for these children. So, um, Mary, I want to really go into now about the Sensory Learning Center and the whole program that you have put together and why you've put together this as a program. Um, Let's first talk about the child that is a perfect candidate for something such as this, and then we'll move into what it is that this child would be expected to do within the program. Okay. Um, Well, I see the child with the label of autism as really a child with sensory dysfunctions who is trying to learn sensory skills. I think the main issue in autism is that there is an impaired stream of sensory awareness. They aren't able to put all the three messages, the three major messages together. And and there are uh, so many sensory skills, but and we don't have to go into all of those, but just think of the vestibular ocular reflex, for instance. Okay. Um, if you're stopped in your car at a stoplight and the car beside you backs up, for a moment you have a real anxious fear of are you moving or is something in your environment moving? Correct. And so a child that doesn't have the vestibular ocular reflex intact all the time or just part of the time is going to have a lot of scary situations. You know, Mary, I, I grew up in California and I remember a specific earthquake that I had been in, and it took me a week to feel grounded after mm-hmm. that. When mm-hmm. your environment moves and you are so off in that sense, I really can sympathize with what these children are going through then. I have woken up in the, in the middle of the night in California when the whole house was moving, <laughs> and when you couldn't stand up in an earthquake, right. I know the feeling. Fear is held in the vestibular system. We are all afraid of losing our balance. Yes. Yes. And so the autistic child, they really sometimes, mostly often, (laughs) have dysrhythmic sensory patterns. Dysrhythmic sensory patterns. Light, sound, touch, and movement must all interface with rhythmic synchronicity to form comprehensive patterns and a coherent world. And so we just want these children to be able to understand patterns. When we see that little child lining up their cars, they're trying to get some sensory skills in place. The brain should delight in patterns of sensory stimuli. The brain can be thought of as a pattern-finding machine. And... When a child is constantly battling an out-of-control right hemisphere, then then they they also are trying to ground themselves in activities that will reunify their jumbled senses. And basically, we want to bring down the pull of gravity in this child, 
to get the child in their body and to get them present. We want this child to know where their body is in time and space. A spatial temporal orientation. Without that, we can't go any further with so many of the things that are necessary in expressive oral language, um, expressive written language, math, reading. And so in putting together this program, tell me how one would expect, what what would one expect to, well, I, I have to say first I'm very interested to know on how just the whole logistics of it works together. Because okay. aside from what kind of outcome we're going to be looking at, I really want to know if if I were to bring a child with autism to you and how are you going to get all three of these senses, the input in at the same time? Well, we know we're going to have to get that vestibular system um, able to be aroused without fear. Mm-hmm. And so... We have a moving table. The table moves head to toe in a small circle very slowly. It's moving at the rate that the cerebrospinal fluid should be cruising through the ventricles when the system is resting. Now, if it were being chased by a dinosaur, it would speed up. But we want to keep it as if things are copacetic. We're kind of looking for neutral here. Okay. And so the child on the moving table will be moving slowly and they will go head to toe direction one day and then we turn the top of the table 90 degrees and they will be moving side to side. Oh. So now we've got them being okay with movement and, and that's critical. And is a parent there with them? Always a child, always a parent is welcome in the session room with the child. Is there anyone else in there? Yes, there's a program specialist. Okay. And the program specialist is sitting at the head of the table, helping the child hold on the headphones, helping the headphones stay on. Sure. (laughs) And, um, And this is a program that is tailored for the child. We're first doing a visual field and a listening profile. So now we have the vestibular and we have the auditory. Remember, the cochlea and the semicircular canals of the vestibular or balance system share the same fluid-like substance. Now we're stimulating them both together, and we're making it okay because nothing's getting excited. Sure. We start the volume very low. doesn't have to be loud to work. Any particular type of music that... Unfamiliar music and good music. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> they say no know. and can fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's no Barney or... Um, no. Okay. And short tracks that are always... Um, so the music is always changing. Nobody likes it all, but it will change very soon. Sure. And so what that sound is doing is a lot of things. It's desensitizing uh, sensitive frequencies. It's perhaps uh, establishing a lead ear that is not as uh, lead as we would like it to be, not as dominant in bringing in the information and transferring it to the left hemisphere. And that 
that's the right ear that usually should be the, the lead ear. The, the music is modulated. It's attenuated at random frequencies. That is making the child uh, not be able to tune out the music and not be able to really get meaning from it. Okay. And that's the way it is when the radio station isn't coming in real well and you're in your car. Right. It brings you present. It's pretty annoying. But it's also breaking up your thought patterns. We work with a lot of children, of course, that have had real trauma. And what's trauma for one is not trauma for the next. But at any rate, there's a lot of fear, an under, underlying relentless anxiety in these children. We don't want them to become aroused um, from the sensory standpoint and then go blow by blow in their memory into a trauma. We want to interrupt that pattern. So that's what we're doing. We're activating in an, in an aerobic way the whole spectrum of sound for these children. Do the skills they gain through this program, do they tend to stop when the program's over and just, and then from that point forward they go with those gain skills or do they continually gain? They continually gain. This is just a foundation. We're making connections, triggering the system to forge new uh, neural connections that they're going to build on now. We have to crawl before we can walk and do it well and keep on with all the uh, things that come next, like skipping and so forth. We have to start in a, in a gross way and then move to the fine. And so we have the moving on the table. We have the headphones on. And now the third thing is the room is going to be dark, so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. But we have a light instrument about um, 17 to 20 inches above their eyes. The light instrument is, is on a stand. It is not moving. Just the table's moving. And now we're, we're bringing in our very dominant sense as human beings, the visual system. It's a two-and-a-half-inch aperture opening of colored light. Now, this light is from um, Developmental Behavioral Optometry, mm -hmm. and it has a lot of research, long, many years, um, behind it. We know that um, working with an isolated color of light is an unusual experience, but it's particularly unusual when we're in a dark environment. If you're outside at night and there's a car, you can't tell what color that car is. So here we are seeing beautiful, beautiful colors of light. There are six colors of light that step through different nerve plexi within the body and activate different areas of the brain. And those colors are, are something that's seen in the dark. It's really quite engaging. And when you have a very sensitive auditory child, this light makes them forget about how sensitive that sound is. And now we have the vestibular system and the vestibular juxtapositioned between themselves. That means the fluid traveling through the vestibular canals telling the brain what direction the body is moving and how fast mm -hmm. has to interact 
with the extrinsic eye muscles who now are, are following that light. And, of course, they're moving, so the eyes are moving to follow that light, which is not moving. And very soon what happens is another trick on the sensory system. It seems to the person on the table, an adult, a child, anybody, it seems like the light is moving because mm-hmm. the vestibular cannot sure. keep up with finding where the top of the circle is. And so now that vestibular is free-floating and things are integrating because, you know, when I first put this together, I thought it was a grand idea and I talked to so many of my um, compatriots that were uh, working in this field and they said, oh, I think that would be way too much stimulation. And the more I worked with these three modalities in separate rooms, I thought, you know, the breakdown in these kids is not going to be fixed by working one modality at a time. I think the perfect thing to do would be to put all three together. I think it's and I think it would be more gentle. Definitely. And, in fact, it was. It's wonderful. And that's when we began to see things happen in a quicker way and more consistently get the shifts we were looking for. Mary, we have a caller in. Cindy, are you there? Yes. Cindy, can you ask your question to Mary? Sure. Um, I inquired with the sensory learning um, program about um, a year and a half ago, and I sent in my deposit. I was um, all set to do it, and um, I held off um, because um, I had cold feet. My my daughter is really um, hard. I can't imagine her laying on the table for that amount of time, and... um, I still, it's in the back of my mind to do it, and I'm thinking about, you know, it's just been one of those things I haven't tried yet, um, but my whole worry is being able to keep her under control because I can't imagine her laying on the table for that amount of time. <laughs> That's a I really can... good question, Cindy. <laughs> and, and, Mary, I'm just going to warn you right now, we have we have a, a just a few seconds till break, so okay. maybe we should hit this question after our break. That's okay. Um, but I, I think that this is an important piece. Um, Cindy, can you hang on until we, we finish with our break? Sure. Okay, very Thanks. good. So when we get back, we'll be back with Mary Bowles. Mary Bowles is going to tell us uh, more about the sensory learning process and just how to handle a child who might possibly not be able to, well, you may not think, can sit on a table for a, a while, but you'll be amazed at, at what can be done at their, their centers. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back in just a few moments. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, 
and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are here today with Mary Bowles, and she is teaching us a tremendous amount about the sensory learning program and her concept of putting together these the senses of vestibular and sight and sound all together to make a wonderful program that helps heal a lot of the sensory problems that our children are facing. We have had a question that we are going to now finish answering um, from caller and Cindy who had asked about how do you take a child who is not comfortable at sitting for long periods of time and put them on a table relaxed for how long is how long is it again Mary the session is a half hour in the morning okay. and then a half hour in the afternoon okay and what 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 is your response to that so we have a child that the mother thinks will be very afraid to get on a moving table yes and she's probably right she's afraid <laughs> to get on other things that are moving right right and so um, we uh, have a pretty friendly office, and, and the providers uh, work at doing that also. We, um, we try to uh, see if the child has a special interest that, that can be comforting, like a stuffed animal, mm-hmm. uh, another sort of a toy. And, and it, I'm assuming the toy shouldn't have any sound or... Right. Too much visualization to it. Right. Okay. And um, so we're going to just go really slow, trying to establish rapport with the child and trying to explain what's going to happen. Okay. And and then um, sometimes it's better to just um, move pretty quickly (laughs) and... And I always put my hand on their left shoulder, and then I'm holding on the right headphone. But sometimes we need to take little flashlights and that have the different uh, caps that can go on. There's see-through caps, and there's different animals. 
So we slowly get the room darkened a little so they can get used to the dark. And then the darker we get it, the more those little light, um, animals show up on the wall. Sure. Let them hold the flashlight. Let them turn the um, colored lights on that dim and brighten the room. So we either go slow or we go fast, depending on how it, it seems it's going to work best for this child. But they have to learn to trust. After they've been there a couple of times and know that nothing bad happens to them and that it's all fun and that they have mom or dad's one-on-one attention, that has to help encourage future sessions. Well, we we really have, after the first uh, experiential session, which is generally complimentary, that's the one that I'm talking about, that very first experience. Now, after a day or so, uh, it, it is usually not a problem at all that the child has any fear at all. Actually, this is so relaxing, the motion of that table. It kind of sure. reminds you of being on a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so relaxing. And it's really nurturing in a way. Mm-hmm. The kids begin to really like it. But that very first time, we really uh, have to go slow sometimes. And other, otherwise, and sometimes, though, their fear is just building, and it's better to just kind of jump right in. Right. Now, before... Um, we started to talk on this before, the, the behavior cues. But yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Sure. And I always wanted to say also just have the mother or, and the parent, uh, both parents if possible, just keep talking to the child because right. they can hear the parent's voice, and That's that helps. And so it is surprising how we don't have the child go into uh, that place of being um, just totally scared. That's great. Okay, so, yes, I think if we look at the behavior cues, they give us some good uh, cues to say what we have going on here is not some big label that's out of control. It is simply sensory dysfunctions that need to become sensory skills. And so eye contact, when they can't, when it's difficult for them to sustain eye contact, what's that all about? It's about that... um, the central vision isn't yet well established. They're working more in the periphery. Mm-hmm. And and so central vision only sees color. That's why we work with color. And that's why the room is dark. We've gotten rid of the periphery. We need to have that central vision to connect to the higher cortical. Then they're going to be able to see the big picture. They're going to be able to put things together. How about all the self-generated, self-stimming behaviors? If we look at the areas of the body that have the most complex sensory and motor organization going on and looking in the somatosensory cortex, that little strip way up in the top of the brain, we're going to see it's the feet, the hands, and the mouth. Isn't that where we see the most stimming going on? Certainly. So so that's showing that... We're not getting the messages moving up so the system can integrate them. Sure. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then we see these children, and they're always seeking congruity and constancy. It's so much less stressful for them if they can avoid having to shift to new sensory demands. It's it's so hard when you have to make a transition because now everything's different. 
everything is is um, expected that they respond in a different way, and they're working so hard just to manage a simple environment. Right. Then we see emotional dysregulation. When the brain cannot filter out stimuli, it's something to filter, it's something to bring in stimuli, but to bring in stimuli, we also have to be able to filter out stimuli, pay attention to what we want to pay attention to. So when the brain cannot filter out stimuli, everything is happening at once. In sensory overload, everything spins out of control. And a system that's under stress moves to protect itself or attack. So there we have the tantrums and the flooding. And the more the more it sounds, Mary, is, is that everybody can benefit <laughs> from, from this. And it's about being on top of your game and and feeling confident and not stressed, right? Sure, sure. This makes a lot of sense. So I need to know after the program is over, what and and you have a child that is feeling better in their body that's feeling. Um, more uh, or a lot less afraid. What is the way to kind of prolong this after? Uh, is it a matter of con- coming back once every couple months to get a refresher? No, once we've made connections, unless someone has a real trauma like going through a windshield or having a fall or having a sports injury or something like that, these connections are going to hold. And so we're going to see the natural development, the natural um, developmental milestones coming forward, the, the learning new skills that for the ability to learn just coming along. And the um, social is a big one because social interactions are unpredictable, and so they're stressful. And now when this child is more aware of their own body sensations, mm-hmm. now they can relate to other people's situations. And visually they will not be missing so many social cues. Okay. Well, we need to start telling people how they can be a part of it, how they can be a part of this program, where they need to go, and to know if there's one in their area, which amazingly you'll People will be amazed as to how many of them are. How many how many uh, facilities are offering the sensory learning learning program? There's always place? new coming online. We're in about mid twenties right now. It's wonderful, and we have one in Italy and one in Australia. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> to get more information, the website is sensorylearning dot com. Yes, www.sensorylearning.com, dot com, and that's s e n s o r y. And there is a web assessment on there that you can fill out. It's going to point right to thinking about your child from a sensory standpoint. And then we can look at the whole picture. Where are the strengths in this child? Vestibular and auditory, is that a good strength? Is the speech a delay? Or are they really precocious in their speech? How about the vestibular visual connection? Yes. Mary... I can't tell you how much I've learned today. I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, thank you for sharing all of this information with us. Thank you. It's been a delight that you have enjoyed it. Thank you. Don't go away. We okay. have um, our last uh, 
segment here on Voice America is going to be news that's happening in autism right now. So please continue to join us after the break. Thank you. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show with Dr. Philip Worthman explores in-depth topics of concern to men of all ages regarding their health and lifestyle in an informative and provocative way. This show is the user's manual for men, a detailed and unedited guide to male physiology. Dr. Worthman, a recognized authority in men's health and male fertility, and his expert guests stimulate informative discussions and debates in a serious yet entertaining way, from explaining how or why the male body works as it does, to dispelling myths and misconceptions about men's health and sexuality. Dr. Worthman covers and uncovers it all. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show broadcasts each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Men's Health and Lifestyle Show, teaching men what they need to know to live healthy, happy, and productive lives. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Thank you for coming back. We just had Mary Bowles from Sensory Learning Program who was wonderful and gave us lots of great information. Once again, if you didn't hear her website, it's www.sensorylearning.com. At the end of each of our shows here on Voice America, we would like to be able to bring to you news in autism. This can be from many different facets. We're not looking at just one particular area. So I'm welcoming people to send me news stories, information of seminars that are upcoming, anything that might be happening that you would like to see publicly announced through this station. To email me, send an email to voiceamerica at autismone, that's O-N-E, dot org, voiceamerica at autismone.org, autismone.org. So in starting of our news today, we have some great stories, and we're going to be first talking about the, the wonderful David Kirby. David Kirby, as many of you may know, wrote the fabulous book, Evidence of Harm, Mercury and Vaccines and the Autism Epidemic. 
And a big excitement piece of that, because evidence of harm has been optioned by L.A.-based participant productions for a major motion picture release. That's right. Participants' 2005 films nominated for eight Golden Globe and 11 Academy Awards include Good Night and Good Luck, North Country, and uh, Syriana. And the most exciting one in the near future will be David Kirby's book, Evidence of Harm. To learn more about this, you can go to the website, www.evidenceofharm.com. And speaking of David Kirby, a big congratulations goes to him for the Investigative Reporting Contest, the 2005 IRE Awards. And he won in the book category for Evidence of Harm. The judge's comments are interesting. It says, Autism, rare in the past, is exploding in the United States, where it is now found in one in 166 children. Attention deficit disorder also has skyrocketed, and one in six children today has a learning disability. David Kirby investigated whether one of the causes of these childhood afflictions is thimerosal, a vaccine preservative that contains mercury, a well-documented neurotoxin. In the 1990s, the mercury-containing additive was injected into children far in excess of federal safety levels. Kirby told a story of stonewalling, denial, and cover-up by federal regulators, medical groups, and the pharmaceutical industry. And he documents covert efforts by some of those same powerful forces, along with the U.S. Congress, to to grant blanket immunity for drug companies that put mercury in vaccines. Like so many scientific controversies involving complex science and big business, the topic is controversial. Kirby's careful and meticulous reporting is exemplary in the balance, accuracy, and documentation. Congratulations to one of the great heroes in autism, David Kirby. An Associated Press article, University of Wisconsin researcher debunks warnings of autism epidemic. The charge by many that autism is increasing at epidemic levels is dismissed by University of Wisconsin-Madison researcher Paul Shattuck. He concludes that special education figures being used are faulty and do not substantiate such a claim. Paul Shattuck seems to be saying that all these autistic children have always been here. We just called them something else. An interesting editorial by Rich Tucker says, okay, I'm 38. If we're not seeing an epidemic, where are all the 38-year-old autistics? I genuinely like to know, what are they doing for a living? Maybe my son can do that someday. As you point out, the 38-year-old autistic people aren't doing anything because they don't exist. Pennsylvania Governor Edward Rendell doesn't believe that there is no epidemic. He sees it quite strongly. In fact, he has said he has dedicated $3 million to help Pennsylvania step up its efforts to better diagnose and treat the tens of thousands of Pennsylvanians who suffer from Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. And the big excitement of the week was April 6th, the day that the USA Today had the full-page ad, and I'll want to read it to you now in case you missed it. The full-page ad in USA Today on April 6th said, if you caused a 6,000% increase in autism, wouldn't you try to cover it up too? It's time for the CDC to come clean with the American public. 
a quote by Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., March 2, 2006. The article goes on to say, We believe the Centers for Disease Control knows that the ambitious immunization schedule begun in the 1990s, nearly tripling the amount of mercury injected into our children, created an epidemic of autism in America. We are mystified that mercury remains in children's vaccines and that the CDC and American Academy of Pediatrics are fighting state laws banning mercury. Why? Tens of thousands of, thousands of children are re- recovered from autism by having the mercury removed from their bodies using the Defeat Autism Now protocol. Yet the CDC doesn't investigate these stories of recovery. Why? We call on our elected officials, journalists, and all Americans to help us in the fight for recovery, truth, and justice for our children. As long as the CDC denies that mercury from vaccines is responsible for this epidemic, proper treatment will never be made widely available to the more than one million American children who could be treated today. We salute the many autism organizations and parents at the Mercury Generation March today in Washington, D.C. To read more about the controversy and the cover-up, please visit www.putchildrenfirst.org. Using the Freedom of Information Act, we are releasing new documents today revealing the CDC's deception. It's time to put our children first. Once again, for all of you, it's putchildrenfirst.org. This ad was also sponsored by HAMP, No Mercury, National Autism Association, Generation Rescue, Moms Against Mercury, and Autism One. Kids on ADHD drugs, it's a dangerous path to addiction. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, over the period of five years between 1997 and 2002, the number of children between the ages of 3 to 17 diagnosed with ADHD went from 3.3 million to 4.4 million. In direct correlation, the number of children prescribed ADHD drugs also rose steadily. In fact, spending on these types of medications for children is now higher than spending on antibiotics and asthma drugs. In February 2006, the FDA revealed that between 1999 and 2003, 78 million prescriptions for ADHD drugs were written for children between the ages of 1 to 18. Terry Davis, a member of the FDA Advisory Committee, has said prescriptions for ADHD drugs filled annually have value of $3.1 billion. This was an article by Evelyn Pringle on kids on ADHD drugs. MIT Group develops a mind-reading device. Three researchers at the MIT Media Lab have developed a device that reads minds and alerts wearers to the emotional state of the person they are conversing with. The device called the Emotional Social Intelligence Prosthetic, or ESP, was presented by Rana L. Calavi on Tuesday at the 2006 Body Sensor Network Conference. The research team hopes that the device will help people with autism learn to better read the social cues of others. In the wake of intense pressure from anti-mercury groups like Consumers for Dental Choice, an article by Julie Deardorff says the Food and Drug Administration recently announced it will hold two days of public hearings to look into the toxicity of silver dental amalgams. These hearings will be September 6th and 7th from 8 to 5 p.m. 
I hope Boyd Haley will be invited. Thank you to all of you who marched in Washington this week. We appreciate the support. Please join us next week as we talk to Vicki DeBold, J.P. Hanley, and Lynn Redwood about some recent studies. I want to thank everyone for joining me, especially Mary Bolas, and especially the Sensory Learning Center in Surrey in Phoenix, Arizona, for the sponsorship today. We will talk to you all next week. Take care. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.